We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Rob Schultz, Managing Partner at Ferra Ventures. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Rob, uh, tell us about uh, Ferra Ventures, about yourself, a little bit of um, introduction. Let us uh, introduce our audience to you. How big is the fund? What is the investment focus? What size investments do you make? Sure, thanks. Yeah, so uh, Sarah, Sarah Ventures, we're uh, an early-stage venture fund. Uh, we have offices in, in three different locations, uh, headquartered here in Champaign, uh, Illinois, which is uh, in the research park at the University of Illinois. Uh, we have an office in Chicago uh, and actually an office in, in San Diego. So uh, uh, pretty, pretty diverse location, but uh, our focus primarily is uh, on uh, underserved geographies, uh, which which we think is a tremendous opportunity that uh, that the founders of, of our fund uh, have built networks in over the last uh, 20 years or so. Uh, I'd say what's unique about uh, our our fund is uh, our team. Uh, we always evaluate our our uh, uh, funds that are the, the opportunities we invest in on, on the team. And what's really unique about our team is we we call ourselves a team of former CEOs. So uh, as an early stage investor, you know, we really believe that uh, to be a, a good coach, you've had to have been a player before. And all of the partners have been uh, CEOs of high-tech venture-backed startups uh, in, in their career, which really enables us to have empathy uh, and be a better coach for our entrepreneurs. Do you want to talk very briefly about um, your CEO experience? Uh, sure, we might need a, a, a longer session than 30 I said minutes. very briefly. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was actually the, the, the founder and, and CEO of a company called Digital Work uh, back in the uh, the late the late 90s. Back in you know people kind of characterize it as the the dot com uh, era, a, a very exciting uh, time indeed. Very different. Um, I have a lot of war stories that I share with with entrepreneurs, um, but started the company from scratch. Uh, zero, zero employees, grew it very quickly over a couple year period of time uh, to over 140 employees, uh, raised over $65 million in venture from firms like Draper Fisher Jurvetson and uh, uh, strategics like uh, Office Depot and, and, uh, and Wells Fargo and the like. We were developing tools for the small business market, simple tools like getting a website or Developing an online marketing campaign, which seemed pretty obvious today, but uh, back in the late late 90s, it, uh, it wasn't as clear. So uh, we grew it. The thousands of employees actually filed to uh, have an IPO in uh, in 2000, April 2000, which I don't know if the audience is uh, old enough to remember, but uh, we got caught in the Nasdaq crash, where the Nasdaq went from uh, from uh, over 5,000 to 3,000 in, in a matter of, uh, of a couple of days. And uh, unfortunately, we did not have a successful IPO. Um, but um, downsized after that. We went into a recession, if, if you remember that, and ultimately found a nice uh, uh, exit soft landing for the company and, uh, and went on to be a venture capitalist. What do you know? <laughs> and how big a fund is Sarah Ventures? So currently, we're investing out of our fund three, which is uh, which is about a thirty-five million dollar fund. Okay, and what um, what stage in the early stage continuum? As you know, the early stage market has 
also segmented quite significantly. So we are seeing people who are picking pre-seed, some seed, some post-seed, some pre-series A, and, and that begs the question, what is the difference between post-seed and pre-series A, et cetera, et cetera, and then small series A, large series A. So where in that continuum do you like to play? Yeah, you nailed it. It's, it's gotten a lot more complicated. When I was an yeah. entrepreneur, you had uh, seed, friends and family, and your Series A, and that was about it. But now you're right, yeah. it is more of a continuum uh, for sure. Uh, so we, we would tend to get involved in, and I would say, you know, the Seed Plus early Series A um, companies that we've invested in tend to have successfully come out of a accelerator per se. Um, uh, had, had done a, a, a seed round through a you know friends and family uh, you know, type of situation, um, uh, but we're you know really not doing for the most part. There's always exceptions to the rule uh, pre-seed investments. And what uh, what is the sweet spot in terms of check size? We're tending to write checks in the half a million dollar to seven fifty range uh, initially. Um, sweet spot tends to be. Uh, you know, part of a syndicate, either leading or or uh, being a significant player in you know a one to three million dollar round of financing that would help the company uh, you know reach significant milestones um, you know in, in an eighteen month type time period. And to write a half a million seven fifty k check, what do you like to see in ter in the in terms of proof points or validation? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, primarily it's, uh, you know, first, like a lot of venture folks, we're looking for, for great teams. Um, and, you know, typically what we what we mean by that is really what's special about the team. Um, you know, we love opportunities where the founder might kind of kick off a story that goes something like this. You know, I've, I've worked in, you know, an industry for, uh, you know, X number of years, and uh, there was this problem that I saw that, you know, nobody solves. So I left my, my cushy job and started a company to go solve that problem. Um, you know, that's kind of an ideal story so that entrepreneur uh, has a kind of deep domain expertise in, in the category of the industry that they're, that they're trying to solve. Uh, Lovely complemented with a strong technical team um, that, uh, you know, has uh, uh, deep know-how, scientific, you know, background in, in that particular area. So obviously, so first focusing on team. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, so post-accelerator teams, I think these days are getting very good at um, kind of identifying product market fit, uh, another kind of cliche term. But I'd say over the last 10 years, that's what I've been most impressed with is, is even, you know, companies come out of universities uh, through a lot of the education that's out there right now, kind of lean startup models and the like are finally now starting to talk to customers and, and get feedback on their product before they're talking to VCs, which seems obvious, but that wasn't always the case. And then last, we look for some revenue traction. We don't have the magic, you know, million dollar, you know, ARR number that uh, a lot of, you know, VCs that are only SaaS companies look for. Um, but we do look for referenceable revenue, um, revenue that we call, you know, on model that uh, mm -hmm. Financial model, and you've got different drivers of that revenue. Can we, can we validate those types of drivers through talking to customers? Um, you know, it, it's typical for early stage entrepreneurs to, through their network or 
family or their board connections to kind of get early revenue. We try and see through that a little bit and look for, we call it more on-model revenue. So those yeah, would be kind of the- Yeah, and repeatability, some, some repeatable customer acquisition strategy that is validated. Evidence, evidence that that could be the case. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the rounds that we typically get involved in, you know, you look to kind of hone that repeatability, but we need some, uh, you know, uh, evidence that we can kind of validate that, yeah, I think there's a strong possibility Possibility. A lot, a lot of those early dollars that, that we developed, our funding kind of go to market teams um, to yes, really start to flush out, you know, a lot of the uh, repeatability that I think, you know, a, a Series A or, or B investor will look at, at those types of metrics. And uh, what um, what does that trans does that translate into? Isn't you don't you're not looking for a million ARR, which is good because it's hard to get to a million ARR, um, you know, for for most SaaS companies without some uh, prior funding. So what uh, what is the ARR where you tend to hit that kind of um, viability validation? Yeah, you know, I, I know you hate the answer, it depends, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, it really does, you know. Uh, each each opportunity is is you know, that we look at maybe is a, a little bit more unique. Uh, you know, we do do scientific instrumentation devices um, that my other two partners are very skilled in. So uh, obviously they're they're going to be tend to be pre-revenue deals. They look for more you know uh, FDA or or uh, approval milestones. Uh, you know the software things that that we're looking at. Um, you know, again, I'd hate to kind of put a, a, a specific number, you know, at least being able to talk to three to five to seven type customers that, uh, again, can get us comfortable with the, with the value proposition and, and the, the pricing mm -hmm. strategy. Okay. Now, you started off by saying one of your core differentiation points is geography. Can you elaborate? What, uh, what is your geographical footprint or focus? Yeah, so... Uh, uh, you know, I know you're in, in California. You may not even know where Champaign, Illinois, but is. But we're I know very well. I studied computer science, Champaign, Illinois, is a very good computer science school. Oh yes, I should have uh, done my research. I apologize for that. Um, uh, yeah, so we're we're right in the in the Midwest and, and very bullish on on our, our Midwest thesis. So uh, we've. Uh, uh, look for, you know, what we call tech ecosystems that are emerging. We started in Champaign, and if you look back at our Fund 1, did a, a lot of our deals out of the Champaign uh, ecosystem, but quickly made an observation that, you know, this this uh, kind of development of, uh, of innovation, research parks, uh, entrepreneurs uh, is really happening in, in different areas in a very kind of consistent manner. So um, uh, we're we're doing deals as far east as uh, Cincinnati. Several several companies there have been very mm -hmm. active in the St. Louis area. Uh, as far west as kind of Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, we've got opportunities there. Very strong in Madison. So think about the kind of the, the Midwest, uh, you know, Big Ten kind of country. Um, we've also carved out an area primarily due to my partner's uh, network, but also an observation that kind of the San Diego, uh, California area shares a lot of similarities and kind of underserved geography thesis that, that we have. So we've done a, quite a few deals, you know, between LA and San Francisco as well. 
I see. Okay. So let's um, talk about your portfolio. What are the highlights that you um, have invested in? And, um, you know, give us a few you know, instances and, and especially help us understand at what stage did you get involved? What excited you about that particular opportunity that, you, that led you to invest so we can get a feel for how you think about opportunities and what excites you, et cetera? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I, can, I can talk about, uh, you know, one company in particular that I'm, I'm very excited about. We, we just closed, uh, you know, a C-plus round. Um, it was about $2.2 million, a company called Reconstruct here in our backyard. Uh, Reconstruct is uh, in the construction software space. And uh, basically they work with um, large construction managers that are building big buildings, stadiums, uh, uh, buildings that are you know $100 million uh, plus type, type opportunities. Um, and they're um, using uh, technology to uh, help them be more efficient in, in, in managing those projects uh, and, and the subcontractors. Uh, what really attracted us to, to this is, is you know, the, the size of the opportunity. So uh, obviously the construction management space is a you know, trillion dollar you know, uh, uh, industry. Um, uh, the software space isn't as big, but, it, but it's ripe with, uh, with, with problems and uh, a lot of kind of incumbent technologies can help solve those. Uh, they're notorious for, for overruns, schedule overruns. Uh, due to poor um, coordination and, and visibility into, into what's at risk in your schedule. What makes Reconstruct unique is there, there's a couple of trends that, that we really like. Uh, they spun out of the University of Illinois, uh, was grant funded initially uh, with uh, about a million and a half dollars in, in grant funding. And the team, technical team is very, very strong in both industry and technology. So uh, they utilize uh, machine learning and computer vision. Um, to, uh, to basically deliver the product to construction managers. Uh, so they uh, capture images. Uh, they don't actually do the, the drone flying, but um, mm -hmm. drones are, are a great you know, image uh, capture device now. We're, we're seeing them all over, and we're seeing a lot of business yeah. models around that technology. So customers are flying drones, taking uh, thousands and thousands of images of their construction projects, and they take those images and overlay uh, overlay them on current 3D models that construction managers are doing and link that to a mm -hmm. schedule. Uh, using computer vision technology, they, uh, uh, they have the ability to identify where there's actually risk in, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, in the project uh, using computer vision analytics, uh, the first of its kind in a SaaS environment to do that. Um, so uh, getting tremendous results working with some of the largest construction uh, managers uh, in, in the world and what's really exciting is if we finally made enough progress and, and we uh, recently hired a CEO out of Menlo Park um, that is now building the go-to-market team. As I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of the funding we do uh, funds go-to-market teams. So Zach McReynolds mm -hmm. just joined the company, uh, came from a, a construction management software company uh, in the Valley, and uh, uh, we're now putting the, the uh, pedal to the metal from the sales perspective. And when you're um, putting a team in Menlo Park um, with the development team back in Champaign, 
is your thinking that you are going to then raise money in Silicon Valley and build kind of like the CEO and go-to-market team fully in Silicon Valley and the financing in Silicon Valley? Uh, I think that's a possibility, you know, not not necessarily. Uh, uh, a lot of our customers, the, the technology groups of these larger construction managers are, are in Silicon Valley. Um, so uh, from a business development standpoint, it, it made sense to, to be there. And when we mm -hmm. did our CEO, CEO search, we were open to, to geographies. Uh, it just happened, you know, um, yeah, Silicon Valley was a good spot, obviously, uh, but where, where Zach was, was in, was in Menlo Park and, and um, I guess the question I'm really getting at is, um, you know, in, in a lot of geographies that we work with and interface with, um, this is a common strategy. They build up to a certain level of validation, get the product built outside of Silicon Valley, and then they put some um, amount of a stake in Silicon Valley to be able to access the much greater amount of funding available here. Is that part of the thinking in, in your um, firm as well as in the uh, Chicago area? Uh, I, I would say the, the you know, access to capital wasn't kind of the, wasn't the driver. I, I think great companies can raise money uh, anywhere. Uh, when you look at a, a small ecosystem like Champagne, you know, what we're mostly missing is, is business talent, They're very strong technically. Okay. So you know, there is a, a trend, whether or not it's Silicon Valley or putting entrepreneurs in, in Chicago uh, or other, another major you know, uh, hub that has uh, uh, you know, bigger airport access to, uh, to more um, mm -hmm. diverse business talent seems to be the trend. And a number of our companies might have uh, dual offices uh, Label Insight is in St. Louis and Chicago. A uh, company Personify is in Champaign and Chicago. As mentioned Reconstruct in in Champaign and and uh, uh, in, in Silicon Valley. So, uh, with collaboration tools getting getting better and better, um, you know that's less of a concern for us having multi offices now. Well, we are very big uh, supporters and and believers in virtual companies because we run one ourselves. And uh, what, if you look back on the, let's say, the year that we just completed, 2017, what are the trends in your deal flow? Now, I'm not asking about what you've invested in, but what I'm sure you've seen lots of companies. What are the trends that you've seen in that deal flow? Yeah, so I would say, you know, the, the first trend is, is the observation is geography. Uh, the uh, amount of High quality deals that we're seeing in untraditional geographies has been mind boggling. Um, and, you know, you're starting to see capital emerge around those opportunities. For example, uh, today I, I just had a really exciting phone call with a, with a $30 million new VC fund in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, uh, doing some exciting, you know, uh, work in the Tennessee area. Um, was very familiar with some of the deals that, that, that he and his fund had invested in. Um, uh, you know, Iowa, we collaborated uh, you know, last week with a new fund that was investing in the, you know, the Iowa ecosystem, you know, mm -hmm. for example, in uh, deals out of Birmingham, Alabama, successful, Great. you know, opportunity, South Carolina. So the first okay. observation, and I, you're seeing this more and more, I think, is just the geography, 
the diverse geography. Broadening geography. Of, yeah. That's awesome. That's great, actually. That's very much in our vision to see more of that um, ecosystem emerge. Um, and especially with virtual companies, that ecosystem can very very well play with the existing ecosystem in uh, in the bigger hubs where there's a lot of money floating. Um, now, I have two questions, actually, uh, to narrow down on your style of investment. Um, first and foremost, you, it sounds like you invest across multiple different sectors. You do B2B SaaS and you do medical and, and so forth. Do you also do B2C? Uh, no, we, we've tended to stay away from you know, B2C um, opportunities. Uh, we don't understand that that well. They tend to be more capital, you know, capital intensive. I think to, to do to do well. Uh, it's not to say that we that we wouldn't, but um, you know, our sweet spot has been uh, at least on the software side in in companies like Reconstruct that I described, where there's a you know an elegant front end, but but some technical um, differentiation in, in in the back end. May that be. Uh, a, a data differentiation, a uh, machine learning, AI, provision differentiation. So you know, tend not to invest in pure execution um, you know, type deals where uh, it's all about you know, cheap customer acquisition. So we look for differentiation in the back end. Yeah. And um, what about unicorns? Is, that, is, is the thinking that you are acting as feeders into follow-on rounds and you're trying to become um, billion-dollar valuation companies, uh, you know, your, your portfolio companies, are they all trying to become billion-dollar companies and that's the trajectory that you're interested in? Or are you also interested in what I see as a, a very robust niche um, set of opportunities where the TAMs are not billion dollar TAMs necessarily, but they are maybe more 100 million, 200 million, 300 million dollar TAMs, but you can build, you know, very compelling companies in those niches and, and pursue, do it in a capital efficient manner and pursue earlier exits. Which of these or both are your sweet spots? Yeah. Uh... That's a good way to frame the you know the barbell the question. I, I think if we had to pick one of those, it would be in the in the latter. So we don't try and play in the kind of unicorn dog pile you know game of of the valley. Um, the, the, we we built our our venture model to not necessarily need to you know achieve those those types of uh, uh, exits. Although of course uh, we, we we like uh, you know op opportunities that emerge like that, but uh, we haven't built the structure and the return characteristics of our model to need unicorns, uh, given the size of our fund. So, you know, being a smaller fund, we tend to align with those, you know, kind of more capital efficient uh, yeah. businesses. And it's cliche, but it's more of an attitude, I think, of the entrepreneur um, and how they want to build their their business um, and uh, how capital efficient they, they can be. And we have the kind of the adage, I think, you know, if you look at the average. Um, you know, exit size is kind of 50 to 60 million dollars for a software company. You know, we don't think that should be a failure. Um, you That's know, right. for, for an entrepreneur. So, you know, look for 
opportunity where we can align well with entrepreneurs that, that uh, we don't want to choke the business off, per se, with, with undercapitalizing it, but can, can make some smart decisions on how to best utilize the resources along the way. But there is a ceiling to how much money you should be putting into a company if the end game is a $50, $60 million exit, absolutely. So um, it's very interesting to hear this from, so we've talked to our uh, funds everywhere, uh, and I've had this conversation with a number of smaller funds who have your perspective of doing the more capital efficient, earlier exit kind of strategy. Um, there's a fund out of Oregon, there's a fund out of Omaha, Nebraska that does that, and, and many others I'm sure that some we have spoken with, some we haven't yet spoken with, we will. Um, so other than geography, you also have that as a differentiator, you know, because this is something that people mostly, investors in Silicon Valley don't like to do. So there is, there's actually a set of companies in Silicon Valley that have that characteristic, but they have a hard time finding funding in Silicon Valley because of those, that belief system that everything needs to be a unicorn. Yeah, well, it's necessitated by, you know, if you've got a, a half a billion dollar fund, you need to put capital to work. Um, so you know, those types of funds are, that's the lens that they're, that they're looking at um, investment opportunities through, which may or may not be, um, you know, in the best interest of the entrepreneur. Um, so, but it's you know, not I, just the larger funds, even, it's also kind of like a mindset, you know, in Silicon Valley, even a $30 million fund often is looking to be a feeder into a unicorn, a unicorn. so it's <laughs> it's not as straightforward as just the larger funds are looking for unicorns, they have to look for unicorns because they're structurally framed to look for unicorns, but even the small funds are looking for unicorns, and there are lots yeah. of them right now, the ecosystem at 700 plus micro-VCs, and that's a lot of companies looking for unicorns. That's not going to pan out. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe being in the Midwest, we're kind of insulated from, from a lot of that kind of noise. You know, we look first and foremost to fund great entrepreneurs, solving tough problems, and, and to build great businesses. Um, that's what we look for. Uh, not necessarily <laughs> that they can be a billion dollar, but we hope they can. Um, but you know, that isn't our, uh, you know, our, our primary is to build great companies, yeah. Well, Rob, thank you for uh, that primer into Sarah Ventures and uh, introducing us to your thought process and how you like to invest. And I look forward to doing some work with you. Great. Thank, thank you, you for coming today. Thank you.